If you have your Bibles, we're going to continue going through the Gospel of Matthew this evening. Gospel of Matthew, we didn't quite uh, finish chapter 9 last week. We got to uh, verse 32, so uh, we'll pick up there. But as you're turning there, I'm going to pray. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon this evening. Just want to mention, too, uh, many have asked about Camp Jubilee opportunities to serve. If you want to serve um, under this ministry's uh, game booth that we have, you can see myself or McKinsey after, and we'll get you dialed in and plugged in. But let's pray. Matthew chapter 9, verse 32. We'll go through uh, uh, chapter 10 this evening, Lord willing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the gift of your spirit. Lord, we thank you that you have um, given us this time, Lord, to, to draw away with you, Lord. And may that be what we do now, Lord, to just get alone with you. Lord, in a room that um, is filled with people, Lord, you have the ability to speak directly to our hearts, Lord. And I pray that our hearts would be open. I thank you that you, um, you're acquainted with all of our ways. And Lord, you knew all of our days before there was yet one of them. And Lord, you knew that we'd be here this evening going through whatever we're going through, working through whatever we're working through, and knowing the exact word that you were going to deliver to our hearts through your word this evening. Jesus, thank you for emptying yourself and coming to this world and living a sinless life so that you could bring us near again to this right relationship with you. So bless this night, we pray. Bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we've journeyed through the gospel of Matthew up until this point, we've seen some amazing things. The Lord is on his way. He is teaching, the, preaching with authority in the kingdom of, of God. He's healing the sick. He is He's casting out demons. We, we had him uh, heal the centurion's servant in chapter 8. We saw him cleanse a leper in chapter 8. We saw him healing people all evening at um, Peter's mother-in-law's house. Uh, we saw him on, the, on the, um, the Sea of Galilee and the winds and the waves obeying him. We've seen his power over so many things. We saw him uh, cast, or excuse me, heal uh, Jairus' daughter last week and, and healed the woman with the, with the issue of blood, uh, healed the two blind men last week. So the Lord, people are, are coming in touch with the power of Jesus. And that's what we have the opportunity to do, just not just tonight, but in this relationship that we have. We have the ability for His power to encounter our weakness and our lives to be changed daily. We need to become well acquainted with that reality day in and day out because nothing about Christianity should be mundane. We should live in the light of our insufficiency and our weaknesses and our spiritual maladies and expect to experience the power of God uh, to grant us victory in these areas, healing in these areas of our lives. So uh, that's what's taking place. We have some amazing things as we wrap up chapter 9 and go into chapter 10 this evening. It says this in verse 32, it says, As they went, this is Jesus, the disciples, Behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. This man is obviously in a rough situation, and they, they are bringing this man to Jesus. What is amazing to me is this man is being brought to Jesus. 
and the Lord is already working in this man's life. If you have ever encountered or dealt with someone who is demon-possessed, they want nothing, the demons want nothing to do with Jesus. It's not a, it's not all the time, it's not like this pretty easy situation. There's a lot of spiritual vexation that takes place. There's a lot of, uh, demons will do, ever, for, the, for the one who is possessed, they will do everything they can to um, take up residence and hold residence within the person that they are possessing. But notice God is working. They are bringing this demon-possessed man to Jesus. And it says in verse 33, And when the demon was cast out, notice, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, it, it has never been, excuse me, it was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. Always amazing, right? We have seen uh, Jesus moving forward in power. And again, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's, um, their people are seeing his authority over, over sicknesses. He, they're seeing his authority over demons. They saw his authority over the winds and the waves. And yet the Pharisees are always there to question the power of God at work. They didn't just see this man who was delivered. They saw uh, this man who is breaking the religious law, by lack of better terms. They were looking at Jesus with this judgmental eye. And notice what they were so far gone. Notice how far their hearts were from God. Right? They, they thought they were the ones who were close to God. Right? The, the prophets, Isaiah, speaks about it. Jesus is going to reference it later that these people, they draw near to me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. And now they're saying Jesus, the Son of God, is casting out demons by the ruler of demons. In John chapter 8, he tells us a house divided cannot stand. You can't cast out demons by, the rulers of, by a ruler of demons. Jesus is demonstrating his power over every demonic force within this world. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, that all principalities and powers were made through him and for him. He is over all things. Sometimes we have this false perception like Jesus and Satan are these equals and they're not. Satan is a created being. Jesus has all authority over all principalities and powers. Everything is subject to him. There is no, there is no even match here. And they're completely missing what's taking place. But notice how Jesus moves on. Notice what Jesus sees in this text. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. The Lord is at work. Notice what he's doing, though. He's preaching and he's teaching. He's, he's preaching the gospel. What is the gospel in its simplest form? And you've may, you may know the gospel. You may be a seasoned Christian. But we need to know this. And we need to preach this to ourselves daily. Right? Because the gospel is the, the power of God unto salvation. That we were separated from God. Our sins separated us from God. We, there is no, no righteousness in us. Nothing, no good deed we ever do could make us right before God. And it was only the the spotless, sinless sacrifice that was going to made, be made acceptable. So Jesus enters into this world and dies for our sins, takes on the wrath of God upon himself so that we can have this right relationship with God. This is the message that he is preaching to these people. 
And he's going into the synagogues and he's teaching. This is amazing to me because the Bible says that everything from Genesis through the prophets, everything that they had in the Old Testament, all pointed to him. He was in Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy of Jesus, that, the, that, that her seed, the seed of, At, or, or, um, of Eve, was going to crush the head of the serpent. Every, every prophecy through the, through the book of Genesis, all related to him, and God in flesh is standing in their synagogues, and he's proclaiming the truth about himself. He would say later on, you search the scriptures and in them you think you had life. But they are that which testify of me. He's speaking, he's teaching with authority. And he's healing every sickness and every disease among the people. These healings are confirming the word that he's teaching. It says in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, notice this. Now one, one thing that um, I'm always amazed by is what the, when the gospel narratives tell us what Jesus saw. Because sometimes we can think in our lives, Lord, do you even see me? Do you see what I'm going through? One of his names is the God who sees. He doesn't just see the outward, he sees the inward. The Bible says that God does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He doesn't just see your circumstances, he sees how your circumstances are affecting the internal person and how they're weighing upon you. And he sees these people, but I want you to notice what he sees in this verse. He saw the multitudes, notice, and he was moved with compassion for them. This word compassion, very interesting word. It, it, it's, it's, it's more than just pity. It's more than to just see someone in a dire situation and feel bad for that person. It's making the choice to see someone that is hurting and choose to enter into that suffering with them. To get outside of yourself and look at a person who is hurting and begin to empathize with that person and begin to enter into that person's suffering with them. He is moved with compassion for them. Remember, this is, these are these, the, he created these people. He's moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were weary and they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Circle, underline, highlight this word weary. It's an interesting word. It literally means harassed. They were harassed by the political system. They were harassed by the religious system. They were harassed by their own thoughts. They were harassed by Satan. They were a harassed people. They were weary and they were scattered. Notice, like sheep. Like sheep. Having no shepherd. Sheep are very interesting creatures because the Lord didn't, when he created them, he didn't give them any natural defense mechanism. They are fully dependent upon a shepherd for protection, for provision, for direction. Sheep are, above all, the dumbest animals ever created. Right? If one of them jumps off a cliff, 
That's why the, the shepherd psalm, he leads me beside still waters. Why did, the shepherd say, why did David say that, himself being a shepherd? Because uh, it wasn't uncommon for one sheep to go and drink by a raging torrent of, of, of a river, and then the rest of them go to it, and then they fall into the river, and they all just keep falling in. They need it. We are sheep and we need to be led. And that's what Jesus says. We are sheep. He saw them. He was moved with compassion for them. Our problem is that we don't realize how much we need to be led. We don't realize how insufficient in and of ourselves we are. And the Lord lets us go through these things to show us how insufficient we are. Only to come back to him and say, Lord, I need your leading. I need your guiding. I need your providing. I don't possess within myself the ability to direct my own life. That was one of the things that changed my life forever. I came to the end of myself in an amazing way at the end of every pursuit of my life that had failed because the Lord allowed it to fail. And I realized, Lord, I can't, I don't possess in myself the ability to navigate through life apart from you. All I want is your will and I need you to direct me into that. And you know what happens when you, when you fall in line with the shepherd? You receive his protection. In the shepherd's psalm, when he's talking about the sheep, and he says, you anoint my head with oil. The shepherd would anoint a sheep's head with oil for multiple reasons. One being because there were these pests, as they would, they would chew the grass and they would eat the grass, these pests would get into their, their, uh, their coat, their fleece, and then they would make their way up into their nostrils, go into their brain, and the and they would begin to like live in their, these pests would live in their brains and the sheep would go crazy. So the shepherd would anoint the head of the sheep with oil as a deterrent from these pests. And that is us, apart from the anointing of the Holy Spirit who can only be given by Jesus to anoint our heads with oil because without that, we are mentally harassed. And we are weary, like sheep having no shepherd. You and I have a choice daily. Are we going to be choosing? Every one of you, and myself included, we're all shepherded by something or someone. We might be shepherded by our own selfish ambition and our carnal desires. We might be shepherded by our adamant desire for our own will in our life. We might be shepherded by some illegitimate relationship that the Lord doesn't want us in some impure desire that we have within our hearts, but you can't be shepherded by that and by the Lord. And what you will find out is everything else that you allow yourself to be shepherded by always falls short. So I encourage you, place yourself under the good shepherd and just submit to him. Just submit to him and walk with him in peace and allow him to lead you and allow him to guide your life. There's so much peace in that. Why? The Bible says in the book of Daniel, in chapter 5 and verse 23, it says that God holds your breath and in his hand and he owns all of your ways. That's, that, that's extremely comforting to me, that he owns all of our ways. He holds our breath in his hands. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 10 and verse 23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. But we insist on it. We are so obsessed with the future. 
We are so obsessed with tomorrow. We are so obsessed with knowing what the next step is. And Jesus says, just, just let me shepherd you through today. Don't be so harassed by the fear of what lies ahead. Just walk with me. Walk with me today. You need to realize your need to be shepherd. Because, because you and I, the Lord can look at you and I the same way. As weary, as scattered, as sheep having no shepherd. And I don't want to be like that. I want to acknowledge, yes, I, I'm a sheep. I need you, Lord. My strength only comes from you. My direction only comes from you. My provision, my peace only comes from knowing. Like, I, don't want to, I don't want to be the lamb that that's, tries to get as far away from he can, as he can from, from the flock. I want to stay as close as I can to the shepherd. Also in Psalm 23, it says, Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. The rod was used for protection and correction. When a lamb would keep straying away from the shepherd, what would he do? He, he'd break its legs. And then he'd bind its legs. And then he'd carry it around his neck until the leg was healed to teach that lamb to stay close. And some of you here tonight, the Lord has broken your legs because you keep wandering. You can't, you can't be trusted to walk because you keep wandering. But he breaks you. Listen, he breaks you so that he can bind you and so that you could learn to stay close to him. He breaks you because he loves you. He doesn't break without binding. He doesn't bruise without healing. But he loves you too much to let you stray. Right? He leaves the 99 to get the one. He'll leave the 99 within the flock to, to go get the one just to break its legs so it could stay close to him. And that's encouraging because now the sheep doesn't have to worry about walking. You're just carried by him. And when you're broken by the Lord, you stop trying to navigate your own life. You just let him carry you. Is he unable to get you where he... he is the Lord that you serve unable to get you where he wants you to be? Because that's, that's the, that is the great question that you and I need to ask ourselves today. What in your life is, an, is hindering you from trusting Jesus? What in your life is hindering you from really believing that he is able? And just submitting to that and letting yourself just to be led by him. No, I, I love him. I walk with him. I'm not perfect, but I desire to be led of him. Can you just submit to the truth that he's led you here today? And just walk with him today and love him today? And be willing to go when he says go, but also be willing to stay when he says stay? Will you allow yourself to be shepherded by him because he, he is the good shepherd. He's moved with compassion, not for just the multitude. He's moved with compassion for you. Sometimes we think that the Lord looks at us with this finger pointed down from heaven like he's ready to destroy you. In the book of James, Pastor Rawls teaching it on, on Sunday evenings and something just hit me heavy last night when in James chapter 5 when James is referring to, to the, the suffering of Job and he says that you, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Many of us suffer in our present condition because we, 
we have the wrong understanding of who God really is. At the end of your trial, at the end of your suffering, you will always be able to say, you are very merciful and very compassionate. But you need to submit yourself to him because just as he saw in verse 36 of Matthew 10, just as he saw the, or excuse me, Matthew 9, just as he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. I love this because the things that weary you and the things that uh, harass you move your Savior with compassion. And a, and a lot of us suffer just because we just, simply put, we just don't know God. That's why Peter would say at the end of his life, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. David would say at the end of his life, fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon would say much the same at, his own life, at the end of his own life. The purpose of your life is knowing God and nothing will give you peace apart from that. It's never about what you do for him. It's never about where he's taking you and what he's going to do and who you're going to marry and where you're going to live and where's provision going to come from. You're going to look back at the end of your life and say, none of that really mattered. I just want to know him. But do you know him? Do you really know him? And are you seeking him? Because when he sees you, he's moved with compassion. He enters into your suffering. That's why he entered into human skin so that you can know that he has entered into your sufferings and he wants to fellowship with you there. So don't refuse the fellowship. And he says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. And the, the same is true today. And I would encourage you to no, You've you got to notice the progression of what's taking place here. right? We see the master's heart. And as we walk with him, we, sh we begin to possess his heart. We begin to see the way he sees. We begin to feel the way he feels about people. And then we begin to long to meet the need like he longs to meet the need. And when Jesus' heart is moved with compassion for people, he wants to use you to be the demonstration of his compassion into the lives of people. There's so much value in your life. The Bible says that you are of much more value than many sparrows. And he, and he doesn't, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from your heavenly father taking notice. He's going to say that later in chapter 10. So when Jesus sees a need, he calls people who are close to his heart to meet the need. You want to be used? Stay close to his heart. It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's what we should be praying today. Lord, send out laborers. Let me be one of them and send out more. But then Jesus sends them out. But you have to see what he does before he sends them out. He shows them his heart. He shows them how he sees people. He sees them and he's compassionate, so he sends them out. He says in verse 10, or excuse me, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And when he had called his, 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 his twelve disciples, notice to him. He called them to him before he sent them from him. That's always going to be the pattern. You want to be used by God? Spend time with God. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. The power belongs to the Lord and he bestows it upon you and I. 
The Bible is, says that Jesus is not, or Jesus God is not a respecter of, of, of man, and that he uh, he doesn't he he gives a spirit to all to all those who are saved and all those who are who ask. The same power that was given to them is given to us today. If you haven't been filled, if you haven't been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to be. Because he wants to give you power. He is the giver of power over unclean spirits. That's why we shouldn't fear the, the demonic. Uh, you should, I, I kind of cringe when I hear people say, I'm not scared of Satan. And you shouldn't be scared of Satan. But it's not like you're any match for him either. Like He'll thrash you if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. But you shouldn't be afraid. The greater is the power that is in you than is he of in the world. And you should trust the, the, the supply and the sufficiency of the, of the Spirit upon your life to operate with power in this world. You should expect to be confronted with evil daily if you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and to overcome it. You should be entrusted by the Lord to, to give you discernment and to be able, I don't know about you, I pray for discernment every day. And there's been many times where I've just been in a restaurant or I've been in the store, I've been wherever, and the Lord has shown me that's demonic. And say, so, Lord, I'm, I'm willing if you're willing. You let me know. I'll pass on if you want me to pass on. But if you want it addressed, Lord, show me. And we got to be open. We can't be afraid of this world that we live in. But if you're not filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're not indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit, look at your Christianity. I said it in the beginning of the study. Your life should not be a mundane life. You should expect to be used. Usefulness is not contingent upon position. Sometimes we wait till we're given some position in the church before we operate in authority. Like this, the, the pastor is not supposed to be the preacher. I hope you understand that. You're, you're supposed, the pastor is the teacher to equip you to do the preaching. You are all the preachers. You are all the ones who go out into this world and, and make disciples. And we should the, the Bible says that in the last days, evil will wax worse and worse. As in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of, the Son of Man. Do you know what the days of Noah were like? They were full of demonic possession, demonic influence. And that's the days that you and I are being called to live in. So I, I would encourage you to level up. And sometimes we can get, get so, like, and the enemy's there too, right? The enemy wants to make you live with eyes on yourself. I love Elizabeth Elliot. She, if, you're, if you're a girl here today, you should be listening to her, like, daily. You can find her studies on Blue Letter Bible. But she always says self-pity is demonic. We get so caught up here that we can't see out. That we can't see the needs out in front of us. We get so caught up in the, what is God doing in my life? And why isn't he doing it this way? And is he going to do this? And is he going to do that? When it's like, let's set that aside and believe in providence that he's leading. And let's just be busy about the kingdom. Because the enemy knows his time is short. And he is, he is gaining ground in this world. And we are called to be the salt that preserves this world. And the light that pushes back the darkness. But we're either going to be about it or we're just going to be hanging out. So when, we, when you leave your house tomorrow, you say, okay, Lord, here I am. Use me. I want to be used. Give me the boldness to do what you've called me to do. 
I want to experience your power in my life. The disciples didn't. The disciples saw Jesus operating in power and like, you've called me, I want to be used like that. Jesus would say later, greater works than me will you do because you believe in me. And they've come to know that there's nothing in this life apart from, apart from being used by the Lord. And he's giving them power. He's, he's, he's preparing them for their usefulness down the road. He gives them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. And notice these names and what I want to highlight. I, want, I don't want to go too in-depth on these names here, but what I want you to get from this is that these were just average guys. There were fishermen and there were tax collectors and fishermen hated tax collectors. <laughs> and the Lord puts them together. It's amazing. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter. Notice these men didn't know what they would become at this point. They didn't know how they'd be used. Peter had no acknowledgement of what would happen at Pentecost. He had no acknowledgement about his denial at this point. He just knew that he's walking with Jesus and Jesus is sending him. Peter and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname is Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and, and Judas Iscariot, notice this, who also, who also betrayed him. I think it's worth noting that Judas was among the twelve, I think it's also worth noting that he experienced the power of God working in and through his life. I think it's worth noting that he heard the heart of Jesus for three and a half years. And yet he was never with him. And we can look at Judas and we can say, man, that guy. Or we can see the Judas within all of us. And we realize in our flesh we could just as easily betray the call. Because just because you're being used right now doesn't mean you're going to continue. There, there's plenty of examples of those who don't finish well. It's not about how you start your relationship with God, it's about how you finish. Are you committed for the long haul? Are you about, like, till the wheels fall off for the kingdom? You need to ask yourself those questions. In Luke chapter 10, it says at this portion when Jesus sent the 12 out, they came back and they said, Lord, we've cast out demons in your name. We've done all these mighty works in your name. And then Jesus responds to him. He says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Why? Because ministry, acts of service will not, never satisfy the heart of man. You weren't created to do things for him. You understand that? You were created to love him. And works apart from love don't satisfy the heart because we were created to worship him. We were created to love him. And just because Judas went out and did great works for him doesn't mean that he ever loved him. Do you love Jesus? What does Jesus say to the book, in the book of Revelation chapter 3? I see all your, your great works. You're doing a lot of great things. But you've left your first love. Your heart is far from me. It says in verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, 
do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Notice Jesus is just giving the opportunity to the Jews first. The gospel went to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Don't go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter into the cities of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus loved his people, and they, and they rejected him. Remember, and, and he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to look over Jerusalem, and he's going to weep, the Bible says. And he's, before his crucifixion, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how much I wanted to gather you under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. Therefore, this city will be left to you desolate. Jesus always gives opportunity. But what do you do with the opportunity? Verse 7, he says, And as you go, preach, saying. This word preach literally means to herald. Before You've all seen the old movies. Before a king comes in town, they would send the, the heralder, and he would say, prepare the way of the king. Or before a decree was made, hear ye, hear ye. This decree is offered by Sir, so-and-so, that, that's, our, that's our call. We're called to herald the truths of the kingdom of God because the king, the king is coming. We're called to preach. Preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Okay, now it's your turn, guys. You've seen me do this, you go. There's always going to be a time where the Lord prepares you and then he sends you. But many of us are never cooperating with the preparation so we never hear the voice when he says go. He prepares and then he sends. He prepares and then he sends. And he's sending them and he's giving them the authority to preach, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to notice this, to raise the dead. These are like, these are like fishermen who were just fishing a year ago. Now they're raising the dead. When God gets a hold of your life and you get in contact with Jesus and you're following His will, He does amazing things if you'll just align yourself with His will. If you just say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm willing to say whatever you want me to say. I just want to be used by you and I want to be in your will. You will be amazed at what God does in your life. He sends them and He gives them this power to raise the dead, to cast out demons freely you have received. Freely you give. Verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts. Notice, he's teaching them how to live by faith. Nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff. For a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who, it, who in it is worthy. And stay to there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or that city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the, city, excuse me, in the day of judgment than for that city. What's, what's encouraging to me is they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting your message. And you need to settle that in your heart. When you're a believer and you're seeking to do His will, you're walking with Him, you're, you're, you are going to face opposition. You're going to face rejection. And it's not you, it's because the message that you carry. He's going to say later that, that I, count, I came to bring a sword. I came, I came to bring division. And what Jesus is saying is don't get discouraged by the rejection of you because they're rejecting you 
They're subjecting themselves to the wrath of God. You understand the authority that Christ has placed upon you as His servant. When you're going where He tells you to go, and you're doing what He tells you to do, and the hand of God is upon your life, and you're, and you're bringing a message, not always by what you say, but about how you conduct your life, you're, you're interject, interjecting Christ into the lives of people that you come around, and they reject you. They don't, they're not reject, rejecting you. And when they do reject you, don't feel bad. Shake the dust off your feet. Move forward and be encouraged because they're rejecting Christ in you. But there's judgment coming. There's judgment coming on a Christ-rejecting world. And if, you've, and if you've read the account in Genesis about what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, the wrath of God was poured out because of the lack of righteousness in Sodom. He says this, and I think this is important, that we settle these next um, ten verses in our heart. Behold... I send you out as sheep, again, defenseless. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Is that not Jesus? Wise as serpents, harmless as doves neither of which you can be apart from a relationship with Jesus daily. I'm sending you out as, out as a lamb. What did we just discuss? That a lamb has no protection apart from the shepherd. Stay close to the heart of the shepherd and realize you don't possess wisdom. You need wisdom to be given to you by God. The Bible says if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask and it will be given to you. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that wisdom cries out from every corner. All those who are willing come in and hear of me. Wisdom is abundantly made available to you. But to be harmless as doves. Don't give way to your flesh when you're wronged. Don't, don't think you're going to do kingdom work in the work of the flesh and in the power of the flesh. You can't. This world is wicked and it will devour you. The people in this world apart from Christ are evil and they should be evil because they're not filled with God's, God's love and God's power upon their life. You are going out as sheep among wolves. This world wants to devour you. And it has this, uh, the Bible says that a, the Satan is able to transform himself into an angel of light. And it has this this way of, of, of appearing one way and then you're entrapped by it and then you get consumed by it and it devours you. What does a wolf do to its prey? It stalks its prey, right? And he waits for its prey to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And what does the wolf do? The wolf hunts in packs. And you are a sheep. And you're going out amongst wolves. What Jesus is saying is know what you're walking in. And that's why we fail. 
because we enter into this world and we forget that Satan has been given the title deed to this world. We forget that we're living in the last days and we're just living like it's normal. And we forget that we are walking in the most wicked of all days. Wickedness is abounding. Sin is abounding. And it, and it has this entrapment in it, and it's posing itself as light. But it's not. It's evil and it's darkness. And we're going out as lambs in the midst of wolves and we're being devoured daily, mentally and emotionally, because we're not first close to the heart of the shepherd, realizing that we don't possess wisdom, we don't possess power apart from him. You, you got to stay close to him. Verse 17, he says, but beware of men. <laughs> Let's just stop there. Beware of men. Okay, so I got to walk out into this world and I got to beware of everyone I come in contact with. The answer, yes. He's not calling us to live. How many times in Scripture does it say to be watchful, to live circumspectly, to, 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 to be wise, to, to take heed to yourself over and over and over again? We can't just like walk through this world like we're skipping through a field of lilies. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils. And scourge you in their synagogues. Did they not experience this? You will be brought before governors and kings. Notice, for my sake, because you walk with me, you're going to be persecuted. A revelation of the cost of discipleship. Because you, because you bear my name. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Don't forget this portion of what it means to be a Christian. Don't forget what, the, what this calling really means. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. What he's saying is don't be discouraged by your suffering. Realize when you're suffering, it's an opportunity to proclaim my faithfulness. But when they deliver you, verse 19 up, do not worry about how or what you will speak. Be willing to speak, but don't worry about what you're going to speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. What he's telling them is you're going to be put in really difficult situations that you are powerless for. You have no power apart from me and you have no ability to speak anything of any weight apart from me. But I will fill you. And if you trust him to allow him to take, take you to where he wants to take you, he's going to put you in positions around people and he's going to give you his words if you're open to his spirit. You and I need to learn to live amongst people while communicating with God. You and I need to learn how to be having a conversation with someone while you're communing with God. You need to learn to be the person that when everyone at the table is talking, you're not having to add to the conversation. You're sitting and you're waiting upon God. Lord, what do you want me to say? Be discerning and God will use you and he will fill you. And he's saying even in these difficult days that are coming, even in the difficult days where they're going to deliver you up for counsels, don't get so entrapped and discouraged by the difficulty of the situation that you're in that you forget that I have put you there. I've allowed you to suffer to preach my kingdom to those people who are in authority. The Lord has amazing ways of getting his servants in the book of Acts to people who are decision makers. And what did Paul always do? What did Peter always do? What did James and John, what did they always do? They preached the gospel. They gave the word with power and authority. Verse 20, For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. 
verse 21. He says, now brother, underline this word, now brother will, will deliver up brother, notice, to death. And a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. There's going to be real familial division because of your relationship with me. Verse 22, and you will be hated. Notice, again, it's cool that you just underline or circle or this. You will be hated by all. I think I should say this. Christianity will never be cool. It will never be socially acceptable. You will always be the outcast of this world. You will never fit in. Being cool is easy, right? I think things and movements and people who try like, like every pastor that, I should say every pastor, but a lot of young pastors today who try to fit a specific genre and try to make themselves so palatable to the culture that they make themselves just like the culture and they actually don't impact the culture. They've missed the mark. You're not supposed to be liked. You're not supposed to be cool. This is not the culturally relevant gospel. It's not the cool ghost. It's, it's, it's the Holy Ghost that's been given to you. So seek to be filled by him and reject this idea of acceptance and just walk with Jesus and let him use your life and get comfortable being uncomfortable in this world because you're not supposed to be comfortable in it anyways. You're supposed to learn to walk alone with Jesus until he takes you home. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. And here's the vision that you and I must have. But he who endures to the end. It's all about endurance. That's why someone comes into this church and God's using their life. I'm really not interested in that. I'm interested in where they're at 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now. That's why the man who fills this pulpit every Sunday and Wednesday is amazing to me. 50 years of ministry and walking with Jesus. That's amazing. That's amazing. Integrity and morality. Don't miss it. Don't miss. Sometimes we get so caught up in what's being taught and spoken, and we should be. But there's more than one message that's being preached and the way a person lives their life in every season of their life. As we age, our life retains power, but it only retains power directly connected to our integrity. Are you enduring? Have a, have a long-term vision. If you're walking with Jesus, have a long-term vision. Because you don't want to just be the guy who shot up like a firework and they come to nothing. And you're like, oh, remember that guy? I've been doing ministry for 12 years now here. And even around the leadership table that we, 12 years is relatively it's a relative short time in comparison to some of the guys that we serve alongside of. And it's amazing as you can look around a table and you can realize, like, man, like, people who are here, I, like, these are all new faces. People, people come and people go. And that's going to be the same in your life. People are going to come into your life and people are going to come out of your life. People are going to walk with Jesus. People are going to walk away from Jesus. But you have a vision of enduring to the end. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. You endure and you continue to endure until the end and you will be saved. Verse 23, it says, when they persecute you, again, not if, but when, 
When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. Get really acquainted with Jesus. Don't, don't try to be like any... We live in such a comparative culture. I'm getting ready to wrap up, so, so pay attention to these last few points. We live in such a, a comparative culture. The Bible says, be imitators of God as dear children of God. Get your face in the book. Get to know your Savior and seek to imitate Him. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. If they call they called the master, notice, if they called the master of the house of Beelzebub, that is the house of Satan, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, don't fear them. Don't fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, and we are standing face to face with Jesus, and we are at the judgment seat of Christ, and our works are passing through the fire, the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of hearts of men will be, be on full display. But we will be with him, and those who persecuted us will not be with him. And they will be at the white throne judgment where they will receive the judgment due to them and they will be cast into eternal fire where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched and they will have full remembrance of your face when you lived in light before them. And they will remember for eternity how they persecuted you and said all kinds of evil against you for his name's sake. So walk with Jesus, understand the cost of discipleship, Desire to be shepherded by him and walk in his power. Expect to be used, but also expect opposition. But don't be discouraged by it. Be encouraged because it's an opportunity for a witness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and your compassion. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. You're so good to us. Lord, we pray that you would keep us here this evening, Lord, and keep us in your love. And give us traveling mercies as we head home. We give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.